0: Good morning, church. Hey, you know, this is going to be one of those messages where I make no guarantees at all about the content or the quality. But I want to promise you that when you leave, if somebody asks you later today, what was the message about, you'll be able to tell them. It's not complicated. It's based on a very brief passage in Scripture. And really, we're just going to focus on one single command within that passage, just a few words In Matthew, in chapter 7, verse 1, when Jesus said, Do not judge. In fact, it's probably one of those places where I think that the old King James Version has just a little bit more punch and gives the right edge to it. You know those words, Thou shalt not judge. And just to make sure that we all know what to say, if somebody asks you afterwards, hey, what was the sermon about? You say that out loud with me together on your side of the internet connection, say, thou shalt not judge. (laughs) Uh, Let's say it one more time. But but this time, I want to ask you to get your index finger out, because that kind of helps, doesn't it? You don't have a problem being Bantle. You know that. But maybe somebody sitting near to you does. Maybe even the person sitting right next to you. So we're going to say it one more time. Only this time, we're going to say it with some attitude. We're going to get that finger out. Do a little bit of sanctified finger wagging to really drive it home. Here we go. Are you ready? Thou shalt not judge. <laughs> it's a funny thing how sneaky judgmentalism is. You can actually start to feel judgmental towards people when you're saying, thou shalt not judge. It's kind of exhilarating, isn't it, to point your finger at someone? So that's really the whole message for today. Thou shalt not judge. And as we think about those words, let's think for just a moment about all the exceptions that Jesus allows. Uh, What kind of people Maybe based on their personality, which drives you crazy, or based on their faults, which of course are many and deep, or based on their weird religious beliefs, which you know of course are all wrong, based on their sexuality or their sexual orientation or their politics or their tattoos or just their their sheer unlikability, what kind of people does Jesus say of course, when I gave that command, thou shalt not judge, I didn't mean them. They're okay, they're fair game. You can condemn them. The answer is nobody, there are no loopholes. In fact, he doesn't say, you know, it would be a good idea if you tried not to make a habit of judging, or he doesn't say, don't judge somebody unless they really have it coming. Then, of course, go ahead and do that. Jesus says, in the kingdom of God, there is a zero tolerance for a judgmental spirit, In fact, throughout his ministry, Jesus got into a lot of trouble for his refusal to be judgmental towards people that everybody else, especially religious leaders, thought should be judged. In fact, we're told one time that religious leaders said this to him. They said, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were muttering, this man, this Jesus, he welcomes sinners and he eats with them where people expected Jesus to pronounce judgment and condemnation, where they thought that that would be the moral thing to do, Jesus instead offered welcome and acceptance. In fact, and you can look this up as you read through the Gospels, Jesus extends this kind of non-judgmental acceptance to ethnic rejects, to religious heretics, Pagans, Samaritans, the sexually scandalous, corrupt tax re- collectors, those who are judged unclean, untouchable. In fact, the only people that Jesus tended to speak harshly about, interestingly enough, were the religious leaders who were busy condemning all the other people in the name of God. And to the religious leaders who passed judgment, Jesus said, and here are these words. From Luke chapter 11, Luke 11, 37 to 46, Jesus says, I know that you Pharisees, you burnish the okay. surface of your cups and your plates so they sparkle in the sun. But I also know that your insides are maggoty with greed and secret evil. Stupid Pharisees, I've had it with you. Frauds, you're like unmarked graves, one of the religious scholars spoke up and said, Teacher, you realize that in saying these things, you're insulting us. And Jesus said, Yes. And if you want, I can be even more explicit. Jesus was incredibly non judgmental when it came to sinners. Uh, there was only this one exception people who judged others. Thou shalt not judge. In fact, This flows out of the very purpose of Jesus. We're told these beautiful words in John's Gospel in chapter 3. John 3.17 says that God did not send Jesus, his son, into the world to condemn the world. Why did he send him? So that the world, through him, might be saved. In fact, Jesus is so opposed to this spirit of condemnation that we're told in describing his ministry, this is Romans 8, verse 1, that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much condemnation? Not just a little, no trace elements, no condemnation whatsoever. It's a hard teaching. It's such an important teaching, especially in our day. It's a teaching that's widely misunderstood, that Jesus' purpose in coming was to overthrow this spirit of condemnation and judgmentalism and offer acceptance to all humanity. And so his practice, his daily rhythms involved refusing to engage in that kind of judgmental behavior, instead to offer welcome and acceptance, even when it came at great, ultimate personal cost. His teaching was simply this, don't judge. So wouldn't it be fair to say that the church, the community founded by Jesus through his spirit, that the church ought to be the least judgmental place on earth? That followers of Jesus ought to be the least judgmental people on the face of the planet, at least based on the life and teachings of Jesus, who we claim to honor as Lord and Savior how are we doing with that? (laughs) Because if Christians are known for anything in this century, if the church has a reputation for anything, it ought to be this, this radical, inclusive, non-judgmental, grace-offering, soul-healing, fear-melting community of acceptance. People ought to say, you know, I've got dark secrets, things I'd be afraid to tell my therapist or my, my 12-step group or my best friend, even my dog, because it might judge me. But here, among the community of Jesus, people in the church here, I feel like I can stand up and be honest about myself because I know this is a place where I will not be judged. How are Christians doing with this, do you think? How are Christians doing at being non-judgmental? A researcher, a man named Dave Kinnaman, did a book a few years ago. He called it You Lost Me. Fantastic book, important reading. His number one finding was this, that the primary characteristic non-Christians associate with Christians was being judgmental. This standing starkly in the face of Jesus teaching, thou shalt not judge. And I've heard Christians try and justify it by saying, well, the real problem isn't Christians. It's that non-Christians don't want to be confronted with hard moral truth. Maybe, maybe, but it's kind of funny how Jesus was. When people met him, Jesus, the holiest man that they ever knew, the holiest man who ever lived, they felt uniquely and radically accepted. He may have been the most non judgmental person in their world. So maybe, just maybe, the word holy means something different than a lot of people think it means. Again, here's the message for today, really simple. Everybody is going to know this, thou shalt not judge. It means we have to learn to abandon some deeply rooted practices of, of blaming and scolding and condemning other people, even ourselves. If you're joining us maybe this morning for for the first time, I need to tell you that we have been living these days during the pandemic by working our way through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapters 6 through 8, probably the most impactful talk in human history. And this morning, we're turning to the Gospel of Matthew in verse 7. This is going to lead us in a couple of weeks to the golden rule, that rule that's all about how relationships are meant to work in the kingdom of God when the world is running according to God's dream and vision for humanity. But we start we start that journey this weekend with what we have to give up. And before we talk about what it is that we have to take up, what we have to put on, we talk about what we have to give up. And here it is. No more condemnation. No no more condemnation that is engineered to control other people. Thou shalt not judge. Now, I know you're struggling with this. I I was wrestling with this all through the week. I want to be clear about what Jesus forbids. And in bringing some clarity to that, let's say a little bit about what this text probably does not mean. First, and this is important, it doesn't mean that we give up making moral discernments or being wise. Think of it this way. If you go to a dentist, the dentist looks in your mouth and says, ah, I see, Richard, your gums are receding. I see a cavity or two. It it looks like maybe you haven't been flossing. That's the dentist's job. I, I don't feel like the dentist is condemning me as a person. But if the dentist were to say to me, Richard, you idiot, I've seen better looking teeth in a comb. They're yellow, they're stained, dirty, crooked, rotten. I have contempt for your so-called oral hygiene. Really, it's kind of oral low gene, isn't it? that's your dentist, you're probably going to change dentists. In our families, in our workplaces, in our relationships, in our homes, we still discern what's right from what's wrong. And we still hold people responsible for their actions. And we can still discuss failure and we can still assign penalty where it's appropriate, but we can do it without attacking their worth Or forgetting their dignity as human beings. There is a vast chasm of difference between saying something about a person's behavior and saying something about a person's worth. That's the first thing. Uh, Judging, giving up judging doesn't mean giving up being wise and making discernments. Here's the second thing do not judge doesn't mean that you have to put up with, with being mistreated. It was this little joke, kind of kind of off-color, but it went around the internet a fair bit a little while back. It says if you want to know who loves you more, your spouse or your dog, lock them both into a closet when you leave in the morning and when you come home and let them out, which one's happiest to see you? Hmm. <laughs> Not the idea, right? The judging that Jesus forbids means forbidding a spirit of condemnation. And rejection. It, it includes this desire I have to feel superior to you. If I don't want to be humble, if I don't want to think about your humanity, if I want that sharp little twinge of pleasure that comes with expressing contempt toward you, it's going to be hard to give up that spirit of judgmentalism. Here's where I really want to come to, and and this is this is hard and timely and absolutely important to say this week judgment condemnation these things will cripple the soul of another person and let's be clear when we do it that's what we intend We have been trained in all kinds of ways, subtle and not so subtle. We've been trained in the ways of the kingdom of this earth. We have been trained to pass judgment as a way of controlling other people and indulging our own spirits. And now we do it effortlessly, without even thinking about it, without words. I mean, you've had that experience, right? Somebody in another car, they pass you on the road and they pass judgment on you instantly. They do it with the raise of an eyebrow and a single stark look. If judging is something that the Bible generally and Jesus in particular forbids, if it damages people and if it corrodes our spirit, why do we do it? Don't we do it in part because it gives us a feeling of superiority? It sets us up in a place of privilege. At least we're not like that. One of Jesus' most unforgettable portraits of judgmentalism comes in the Bible in a story that he tells, the parable of the prodigal son. He says in that story that there's a boy, the prodigal son, who goes off and squanders all of his father's inheritance, squanders it in reckless living. Those are Jesus' words. And then he comes to his census, and he comes back home, and his father rejoices, but his older brother's ticked off. The older brother comes to his father and says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. That's the the resentful, judgmental spirit. He says, I never disobeyed you. You never gave me so much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the best, the fatted calf, and you give it to him. It's a vivid portrait of judging. Notice what he says to his dad, when this son of yours, not this brother of mine, they were still brothers, weren't they? When this son of yours, love always identifies with a person, but judgment always distances us from them. This son of yours. Earlier in the story, Jesus never said anything about prostitutes. The older brother just makes that up. He assumes that that's the way it must have been. We make assumptions about people, and then we pass judgment based on our assumptions. The only thing worse, the only thing more wicked, more destructive, more contemptuous than a judgmental spirit is one that's driven by assumptions, because that means we don't just judge, we prejudge, and we pass judgment on a whole group of people based on their race or their nationality or their job. And just in case you never thought about the roots of the word, to prejudge, that's how we get the word prejudice. Prejudgment is prejudice, and it cripples the soul of another. In our day, we're trained to be judgmental. Sometimes we're even taught to be prejudgmental. And perhaps we don't know it about ourselves or we don't like to acknowledge it, but it's all around us and it's inside of us. We've seen what happens in the world when you pass judgment on a whole group of people based on their country of origin or the color of their skin or the neighborhood where they live. We saw the tragic consequences of that behavior, that sinful behavior played out again in cities all across North America this week. So to be really clear, in the name of the church, in the name of MCBC, according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, if Jesus stands for anything, he stands for this, a stark opposition to the evils of racism and classism and patriarchy And scripture does so with the boldest of all possible proclamations. In Galatians 3.28, in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. We could say black nor white, Asian nor Aboriginal, Latino nor Syrian, rich nor poor. There is no slave or free, male or female, for you are one in Christ Jesus. And let's bring it to a razor sharp focus you can name Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Or you can vote for and support and otherwise ignore racist and selfish and xenophobic policies and practices. But in the name of Jesus, you cannot do both. So where does that leave us? Jesus invites us to step into this bold new reality. This reality that that he called the kingdom of God, where we lay aside that judgmental prejudicial spirit, condemning, superiority, blaming. Just to make sure we're all tracking together, what's the message about? Four words, get your finger out if you want. Thou shalt not judge. This week, this week, I hope you'll join in praying that God will help you because you know we can't do this on our own. I hope that you'll join in praying this simple prayer. We'll put it up on the screen for you. God, would you make me an oasis of acceptance in a desert of condemnation all around me? God, would you make me like an oasis of acceptance? in a desert of condemnation all around me. And praying that I'm asking God to take the spirit of judgment and replace it with with a spirit-enabled, reality-based, genuine acceptance. And there's a very powerful dynamic at work when we do that. It's the one that Jesus teaches in the passage, thou shalt not judge. And he goes on to say in verse two, for in the same way that you judge others, you too will be judged. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. What Jesus is observing here is just a general law, a rule about the human condition. You could call it the law of reciprocity. Did you tend to get back what you give out? If you give love, you get love. If you give anger, you get anger. If you give distance, you get distance. If you give joy, you get joy. We tend to get back what it is that we give out. Jesus put it this way, with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So, this is a bucket. This is a thimble. You will decide every day, you'll decide today what measure you're going to use. Do you give a bucket of encouragement to people or do you give a thimble? Do you give a bucket of mercy or do you give a thimble? Is it a bucket of anger or a thimble? And when it comes to judgment, Jesus says, in the same way that you judge others, you too will be judged. One last little word. If you find yourself wondering about justice in the middle of this, how is it that I stand up for what's right without being judgmental, without being self-righteous? Let me give you the best wisdom that I've ever heard on this. A phrase from Dallas Willard who said, you offer peaceful non-cooperation with evil. In fact, Dallas used to say that the two main parts of our job as disciples are simply to do the work that God has given us to do it diligently and then to offer this peaceful non-cooperation with evil. Because as it turns out, sin is fragile in so many ways. This powerful, destructive force in the world also turns out to be fragile. And one of the ways is that generally... Sin, corporate sin, requires collusion to be sustained. And when a courageous follower of Jesus, who's committed to peaceful non-cooperation with evil, can step into the middle of it, they can stop it. You don't even have to say that's what you're doing. It'll just be there in your body language. When the conversation turns in the direction that's tilted on hatred or resentment or Or paints a group of people with a brush that you wouldn't paint over anybody, when we try and rip away the beautiful canvas of color and diversity with which God has painted the world, you offer peaceful non-cooperation. And I guarantee you, your presence, your discomfort, your refusal to engage in that kind of banter It will slow and stop what's going on, and people aren't even going to be able to put their finger on why it's happening. The kingdom of God working creatively, quietly, peacefully, spreading through God's people. It's what Dallas Willard called the divine conspiracy, which always feels just a little bit hidden. It's the way of Jesus. As we turn from condemnation, thou shalt not judge, to acceptance. As part of our friendship with Jesus, we're living now in a kingdom, a reality, where condemnation is simply irrelevant to our lives. There is, Scripture says, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yes of course we still receive feedback and critique and criticism we do so humbly and with poise but but not condemnation we're going to go a little bit deeper into this next week next week we'll go we'll look at what may well be the most powerful relational prayer that a human being can pray but for now for this week we just set aside judgment and this week as you offer Love instead of condemnation as you do it to your friends and your enemies, parents and your children, to your friends and your spouse or your ex-spouse, employees and employers, co-workers, neighbors, the people you serve with and the people who serve you. As you do that, I want you to savor the new experience of grace in your life. You will be more at peace, I promise you. You will brood less. You will worry less. You'll think about yourself less. You'll be more encouraging. You'll be blessed and you will be a blessing. And if somebody asks you, What was the sermon about today? you will tell them four words. And if somebody asks you, Was the sermon any good? just tell them thou shalt not judge. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we pause now to savor this moment, this wonderful reality that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me say, if you don't know what that means to be in Christ Jesus, if you've never turned your life over to him, if you've never asked him to forgive your sin, to free you from judgment and condemnation, if you've never known that kind of peace, what it means to be accepted by God through the cross, through the forgiveness in Jesus, let me invite you to do that right now. You just ask him, you you come to him and say, Lord, I, I tried it on my own, and it hasn't gotten me where I'd hoped. Whatever days I have left, I want to live them with you in charge of my life. Recognizing that in that decision, I open up a canvas that stretches on through all eternity. You can turn your life over to Jesus right now. God, I also pray that you would allow all of us to live in that kind of radical freedom from the condemnation and bitterness and prejudice that we feel all around us. And God, make us conduits of blessing rather than just judgers and condemners. To all those who are around us, to those who we share lives with, to those whose paths we cross, May they too find acceptance and love that flows through the person and the spirit of Jesus. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.